do rejoice in our rock, the sure foundation on which our faith is founded, the rock of our salvation. Heavenly Father, we pray that even this evening as we look at this passage here in Psalm 95, that we would rejoice and respond rightly to the rock of our salvation, that we would not harden our hearts, that your name may be praised in all the earth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hand formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation, and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. As we turn to Psalm 95, it's a psalm that's really focused on responding to the Lord. You can divide it into two halves, really splitting it there in the, in, near the end of verse 7. And the first half is really a positive response to the Lord, focused on uh, singing to him. And the second half is a negative example of how to respond to the Lord. Looking back to that wilderness generation who hardened their hearts. But we start this evening with the first half, the, the positive response to the Lord. And it starts with an invitation. He says in verse 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us sing. Note here first the communal nature of this psalm. It's an invitation, let us. In fact, that re, um, returns all throughout this psalm. In verse 1, uh, let us, verse the second line there, the two lines of verse 2, let us, let us. All right, it's, it's repeated even down in verse 6, let us, let us. There's, this is a communal psalm. It's an invitation to the community to join me in praising the Lord and lifting his name, singing to the Lord. What is this singing like? Well, he goes on. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us shout joyfully. It's an interesting way to describe singing. Shouting joyfully. And yet I think it's appropriate. Joyfully. What words describe your singing? When you come and you're singing to the Lord as we gather on Sunday morning, 
What words describe your singing? If someone were to walk into our church, they had no idea what a regular Baptist was. When I first met my wife, having grown up in South Carolina, there's not a lot of regular Baptists in South Carolina. When I first met her and she told me she's from Altoona Regular Baptist Church, it was kind of concerning at first. Like, what, what is this regular Baptist? Why not just be a normal Baptist? Why regular? <laughs> if someone were to walk in and they had no idea what we were about and they sit down and our song service starts and they start looking around, how would they describe the singing that they hear? Would it be joyfully? Would they go forth and say, man, that church, they are excited about their God. Their singing is full of joy. Or when you sing, is it kind of mindless? You're just singing the words on the screen, the words in the book in front of you, and you're not... You're just going through the motions. You're saying the words, but you're not really engaged. You're not thinking. Your, your emotions aren't involved in it. Maybe your singing could be described as distracted. Maybe it's self-aware. You're, you're too scared to, to really shout joyfully because... You're just not a good singer and you don't want people around you to hear. You're just, you're kind of timid about it. But is that the right approach to praise of God? Being worried about what other people might think about my singing voice? This is an invitation to all, come and join me as we sing to the Lord, as we shout joyfully. Why? Because he is the rock of our salvation. The idea of a, a rock there, it is solid. It is not moving. This is what our salvation is founded on. That's the one we praise. He goes on in verse 2, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Again, that describes this joyful singing or shouting. What is it that, that motivates this? It is thanksgiving. In fact, the idea of thanksgiving implies a response, does it not? Thanksgiving is a response to something that you were thankful for. It implies that they are responding to something. They're responding to who God is and to what he has done. Their singing is a response to the God who is the rock of their salvation. In fact, the, the song of verse 1 is an overflow of that thankfulness in their hearts. As they look around at all that God has done, as all that he has given them, as they look back, their hearts overflow in thankfulness to this Lord, to their Lord, and it comes out in singing that can be described as shouting joyfully. Again, he uses that language, shout joyfully, again here in verse 2. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. It's the content of their song. They're singing psalms. That's what they had at the time. It's interesting, though, if you think through the psalms, they're not all filled with joy. 
And yet, as the Psalms teach us, we can sing those Psalms, many of them ending in joyfulness and faith, because we have a new perspective. Shout joyfully to him with psalms. The content of psalms is very raw and they are emotional. We know that. We're working our way through these psalms. We don't want our singing to be driven by emotion. But we also don't want our singing to be emotionless. We are created as people who have emotions. And if we are not responding to God joyfully overflowing with the emotion of what God has done for us. Have you ever been moved to tears because of something that someone has done for you? Something you you didn't deserve, you didn't expect, and then out of the kindness of their heart, they reached out to you. Is that emotion bad? No, that is good. That is the right response. And, And When we are praising God, when we are shouting joyfully in song to him, we are responding to a God who sent his own son to bear our sin, who rose again victorious. If that doesn't move you, then there's something wrong with you. Shout joyfully with psalms. These deep, these raw, these emotional songs. Why? For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. There is no one like our God. In his hands are the deep places of the earth and the heights of the hills are his. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. From height to depth to land to sea, it is all gods. He is creator. He is sovereign sustainer. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of us responding thankfully and joyfully to him in song. So the psalmist repeats it here in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. This is our posture in worship as we come before the Lord. Yes, we come joyfully. Yes, we come boldly. Yes, we come in thanksgiving. Yes, we are loud and we are joyful and we are shouting. Yet we are also reverent. We see that same thing in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. How does Jesus start? Our Father. Right? That's that's boldly. I come boldly before him. He is my Father. And yet where is he? He's my Father who is in heaven. I come boldly before him, and yet I come reverently because of who he is. So we come joyfully and boldly with thanksgiving, and yet also with reverence, with humility before the Lord. Worship and bow down. It's a show of humility of surrender. Kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. 
Specifically, the context of Psalm 95, obviously, is Israel. This was their God who called them out, who set them aside. And yet we too, the church, are the people of God. Not in the same way as Israel. We are not Israel. But we are in Christ. What a privilege to be the people of God. Be the people of his pasture. Notice how they wear it here as a badge of honor, not as a scarlet letter. He is our God. I am his and he is mine. The sheep of his hand. So as you get through the first six and a half verses here, it is a right response to the Lord and worship, and song. Then as you move to the second half, 7b uh, really through the end of the psalm in verse 11, now he gives us a negative example of how not to respond. Today, today, if you will hear his voice, today, right now, whenever the word of God is opened, Again, this is, in a sense, this is an invitation. Today, while it's open, hear it right now. Hear his voice and respond, but not in this way. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. It's a reference to Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7. When this generation who had come out of Egypt and they, they had seen God do all those works, they had walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. The Lord had led them, he provided for them. And, and even though they're complaining along the way, they come to a place where they are thirsty. And they are worried that God might not provide for us. So they complain. They complain. Moses strikes the rock and the water comes out and God does provide, but they did not trust God. It's interesting. Why, why do you think it is that the psalmist here, and you may remember in our study in Hebrews, he goes back to this psalm as well in chapter 4, but why do you think it is that the psalmist focuses on this trial in the wilderness? Because it's not right now. It's not at that point that the Lord says, fine, you will not enter the land. You will not enter my rest. Right? It's not till the end of their journey when they get to the promised land and the, other, uh, the spies have gone in and come back and given a bad report. Ten of them give a bad report and the people choose to believe them rather than to believe uh, Joshua and Caleb and so they don't go into the land and that's when God judges them. So why do you think that the psalmist goes back to here, to this point? I think it's because that this attitude that we see here at Meribah, this is the attitude that persisted throughout their entire journey. You see, if the people don't trust God to provide water, they're not going to trust God to defeat armies. If they don't trust God in the little things at the beginning of their journey, they're not going to trust God in the big things later on. 
Their failure to trust God was not just a failure in that moment. It was an attitude. It was a choice to not trust God. They decided early on in that exodus, God can't do this. That goes back to verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What does that mean, harden your hearts? How do you harden your heart? I think it's to fail to recognize what God has given you and to focus on what you don't have but you want. I think it's like a rebellious teen who, in the moment, for, for whatever reason they're complaining about, they fail to recognize all that their parents have given them. They fail to recognize the roof that is over their head, the food that has been in their belly, the school supplies they have had, the clothes that they wear. They fail to recognize everything that their parents have given them, and they're upset just because they can't have that whatever it is. Baseball glove. And then they start to harden their hearts. Well, my parents don't love me. They don't give anything to me. And then the next day, when they're craving McDonald's, but their mom's already made lunch, and so my mom didn't give me McDonald's. That's twice now. The baseball glove, McDonald's. Before you know it, they start to see a pattern. My parents don't love me. My parents don't care about me. My parents don't provide for me. And all the while, they're ignoring all these huge things that their parents do for them. That's what it means to harden your heart. To choose to ignore all that God has done. And to focus on those just tiny little small things that you want. In fact, that's what you see here. As you go on in verse 9, your father's testimony, they tried me, though they saw my work. That is phenomenal. They saw my work. This is the same generation that walked out of Egypt, not poor. They walked out rich. I led them across the Red Sea on dry ground. What a miracle! This is the same generation that at the foot of Mount Sinai they felt the quaking. They saw the lightning and the power of God on that mountain with Moses. This is the same generation that God provided water for in the wilderness and manna. They saw my work. They saw all these great things that God did. For 40 years I was grieved with this generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. They saw my work, but they do not know my ways. How sad is that to be there? Where you see all these great things that God has done, but you don't know him. You don't care. Because you don't have that one little thing you want. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In the immediate context of Exodus, that means entering into the promised land. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 takes that idea and expands it, looking forward, using this as an example, calling the believers there 
that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews saying, today, believe. Don't, don't get distracted. Don't, you know, don't be like this generation, but look what God has done and respond. Don't go back complaining and go back to Judaism, but look to the cross, see all that God has done. There's a better rest that I am promising. Come and enter it. Really, it's the idea of not taking hold of the promises that God has given to you. Because you failed to believe. In fact, notice here, in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, God was merciful to them. God moved towards them in mercy. Their problem is they didn't believe. It's not that God approached them with a disposition of judgment. God was merciful to them. He was gracious. He was patient. And they are the ones who chose to believe. Their failure to enter God's rest was their fault. God gave them every mercy and opportunity and grace. It was their rebellious hearts that they hardened their sin. So the warning of this chapter is brothers and sisters respond rightly to the Lord. Look what he has done and respond rightly. Right living flows from right worship. And your worship will flow from a right understanding of who God is. Know God. Look at what he has done. Respond rightly. And watch what he will do. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Do not harden your hearts. With that, we're going to transition to taking some prayer requests.